Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar Magazine, sponsored by Phi Beta Kappa. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastic. Love it or hate it, sweat is the reason why you don't die of heat stroke in the summer, though you might want to die of embarrassment if you work up too much of it. But perspiration also contains a trove of secrets about our body's inner workings, from sexy pheromones and disease markers to what we had for lunch. In her new book, The Joy of Sweat, science journalist Sarah Everts explores what perspiration reveals about our biology and our behavior, debunking some overheated myths and maybe even some stigma along the way. Sarah Everts joins us from her home in Ottawa, Canada. Thanks so much for talking to me about sweat, Sarah. Oh, thank you for having me. So I knew that this book would be insightful and interesting, but I was not prepared for page one to be like dropped into body horror with red sweat. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that story <laughs> and why you started with blood red sweat? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, so this woman um, who's a nurse in South Africa uh starts noticing on her pristine white uniform the appearance of red sweat. Um, so, you know, around the collar, in her armpits, wherever she's sweating, it's red. And she is understandably very alarmed. Um, and so she goes to a dermatologist who is very interested. <laughs> um, and uh, they try and figure out what the heck is going on. And initially they have zero success because she's in her 20s, uh, red sweat notwithstanding, she's in perfect health. And um, they are super stumped until she comes up to a follow-up appointment and the doctor notices her fingers are kind of stained this like reddish brown color kind of like uh people who roll their own cigarettes and they know that she is not a smoker and so they're like what's on your finger and she's like oh I just had this like pre-appointment snack it's you know knickknacks spicy tomato corn chip I love it and bing um they're like how much of this corn chip are you eating and it turns out this was her vice her fetish I mean we all have ours mine is salt and vinegar chips um but she was eating 45 bags of week. And effectively, the pigment in uh, the flavoring and the coloring dyes in the chip was coming out in her sweat. And as soon as she stopped eating those chips, she stopped sweating room. I mean, what a, um, I won't say beautiful, but what a, what an apt way to show the reader that sweat is not just like salt and water, as we kind of mistakenly assume. So I mean, hypothetically, if I were to develop a really bad Cheetos habit. I have kind of a moderate Cheetos habit at this point. If I, you know, ate a ton of them, how would said Cheetos dust or whatever else travel through my body to like get out my pores? So you're totally right. Uh, sweat is so much more than salt and water. Sweat is actually the liquidy parts of blood. So effectively, when your body overheats and it needs to cool down, it gets this like directive to open the sweaty floodgates so that uh, the sweat can evaporate away your heat. But it gets that sweat effectively from blood plasma, right, which percolates out of your circulatory system into, you know, the interstitial parts of your body, and then is sourced by your sweat glands. So effectively, um, 
what happened to that nurse was she's eating her chips and obviously the food is going through her digestive tract and her intestines are absorbing up nutrients and also all the dyes then it's lapping into her circulatory system right your blood transports nutrients to your whole body amongst other things then you know the liquidy parts of your blood anything that's circulating around so from like glucose to your vices so i had my sweat analyzed and caffeine came pouring out because i drink a lot of coffee right so anything that's circulating around in your blood um, can percolate out into your body and then out your sweat pores so you know lots of things come out in sweat it's not just the bad stuff like nutrients glucose um, hormones vitamins and you know sometimes the the nasty stuff too but anything that appears in sweat is incidental, which is why, you know, there's this detox myth, right? You don't detox by sweating. Um, just anything that comes out in sweat is incidental. If you detoxed by sweating, you would literally have to remove all the liquidy parts of your blood and you would dehydrate and die. Instead, you have like the kidney. Obviously, this woman's kidney um, was not able to handle 45 bags of knickknack spicy tomato chips, right? Uh, and some of it was still circulating in her blood and, and coming out. Yeah, it seems common sense, right? That like the bad stuff comes out. And I love using saunas, for example, and like going to hot springs and all of these sweat bathing rituals. I mean, are they all based on pseudoscience if sweating isn't how you detox or lose weight? No. Um, so certainly a lot of spas promise you the world like uh, sweating in a sauna does not cure cancer. It is not a detox uh, strategy. But actually sweating in a sauna um, can be good for your health. And there is some solid science that's been done on that. And um, in particular, it's really good for your heart health. Um, because if you imagine you go into a really hot place and your body's like, ah, what is she doing? Um, and it needs to start cooling you down. And the way it does that is, first of all, it dispatches your veins to the surface of your skin. So for people who are light skinned, that's why, um, and myself included, we turn red because literally uh, our blood is being pushed up. Our vasculature is being pushed up to uh, the surface of the skin so that the hot blood whipping by can be cooled down by sweat evaporation. Um, and then after it's been cooled down, the hot blood laps back into the interior of your body to cool it down. And so that's actually really kind of exercise for your heart because your heart rate starts pumping faster and it's mild exercise for your heart um, with all the beneficial knockdown effects, um, including the happiness biochemistry, right? Endorphins, um, epinephrine, all these chemicals that make you feel good, right? Make you feel emotionally detoxed, perhaps. Um, and then also uh, because your heart is getting a work out, it's pumping really hard, um, you get all these other good beneficial biochemical side effects like um, plaque clearing enzymes and, and other things. So it is good for your heart. And that's uh, from a study over like, you know, several decades out of Finland with thousands of subjects, you know, 
really solid science. A lot of the other claims made by um, spas, a little more spurious. But, you know, even though it is good for your heart, um, you probably shouldn't cancel your gym membership just yet because you're not getting, you know, muscle building, you're not burning calories, uh, but you are working out your heart. And, you know, that's great. Also, you're getting happy biochemical drugs. So there's nothing to uh, knock on that. Oh, man, I'm totally going to use that line the next time I want to go to a sauna. Hard as they are to find in the States. Like, you want to go get high? Do you want to go to a sauna? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one thing I thought was really interesting about the book right from the jump is that so many evolutionary scientists, so many, you know, biologists, anyone who studies sweat ranks it up there with big brains and thumbs for evolutionary advantage. And I never, honestly, I never thought that this cool but sometimes embarrassing substance that I just like exude would be as advantageous as my brain. I know it's this thing that we're all slightly mortified about, but it's also our human evolutionary superpower. So um, if you think about like what distinguishes humans from the animal kingdom, we are the naked ape, right? And we have an enormous surface area off of which we can evaporate away sweat. And this means that we are excellent at what scientists call thermoregulation, at cooling down. And it also means we can cool down while exercising heavily, right? It's the reason we can run marathons. And, you know, evolutionary history, if you think about it, um, so many of our prey sprint faster than us, right? And so they could sprint away. But we can run and cool down on the move. So we could eventually catch up when they had to stop to, to cool down. And by catching up with them, we're forcing them to sprint again before perhaps they've cooled down and then again and then again until they you know die of heat stroke or are easy to kill and like heat stroke is a terrible way to die and our plentiful sweat glands we've got like between two and five million you know our tiny little organs devoted entirely to keeping us cool and even our closest evolutionary neighbor uh, the chimpanzee which has eccrine sweat glands all over its body. So it could, in principle, use sweating as a cool-down strategy. It pants because, like a dog, um, its tongue is its most naked area. And so instead of evaporating away sweat to cool down, it's evaporating away saliva on this tiny little tongue. Um, well, dog tongues are kind of large. But, um, but yeah, compared to literally your whole surface area of your body, Even though you're not detoxing as you're sweating, there are a ton of fascinating studies connecting your sweat to disease based on how you smell or just based on like analyzing the sweat. Can you talk a little bit about the like the various studies that have come out? So there's kind of two interesting aspects about sweating. There is the actual just chemicals that are percolating out going along for the ride, um, the cool down ride. Um, And for example, um, in your sweat uh, are biomarkers of disease, um, for example, for, for cancer. Um, Some cancers can be diagnosed that way. Uh, You can diagnose cystic fibrosis. Um, That's from uh, salt, actually, uh, in your sweat. But also, there's some odors um, that come out in sweat that are also helpful diagnostically. There's this uh, one very famous woman named Joy Milne who could smell Parkinson's on her husband. um, And her nose uh, has been used to, you know, effectively um, diagnose people with Parkinson's disease based on an 
and odor. And, you know, nurses have long um, sniffed patient wounds to sniff out evidence of perhaps um, an infection of like proteus bacteria or, or other kinds of, of infections. And so there's the odor, right? So how we sniff. And then there's like the actual chemicals, um, which are, you know, just percolating out. And so many interesting things are coming out in this like seemingly, you know, clear liquid water, which is not liquid water. It's that and much more. Is that the same thing that dogs are smelling when they can like smell a seizure in a child are hormones coming out of your skin too is that what it is yeah presumably so so there's kind of also two things happening so we have each and every one of us our own body odor print right so this is the thing that makes me my body odor unique from yours and which allows dogs to for example track um, different individuals and incidentally that body odor is produced um, primarily from a different kind of sweat gland. So we've been talking up until this point about what's called eccrine sweat glands, the stuff that produces the salty floods to help us cool down. Well, there is another. Um, and it appears in your armpits at puberty. And this is what's responsible for uh, turning armpits into stink zones in adolescence. And these are called apocrine glands, and they produce a different kind of sweat. It's very waxy. Um, kind of like earwax, sorry to be gross. And it also comes out uh, fairly odorless. But um, the bacteria living in your armpit, you know, we're, we're completely covered um, inside and out with uh, trillions of microbes, right? Um, our digestive tract, our, our skin. Anyway, in the like hot, wet, warm ecosystem of your armpit are bacteria called carinobacteria. And they love eating this waxy sweat from the apocrine gland and they turn it into stinky odors. They make like hundreds of different molecules, like a symphony. And that is what gives me my odor print um, and you your odor print. But there are some like top notes and that's how you can tell whether it's a stinky human that was in an elevator before you or a stinky dog. And those two top notes are this like goaty odor and this like ripe um, tropical fruit oniony odor. And these two things um, are present in almost all human armpits, plus all these other kind of odors. And so, you know, when dogs, for example, are, you know, sniffing out biomarkers of disease like seizures or ovarian cancer or other things like that, researchers are, are trying to figure out exactly what they're sniffing. And it's actually really hard to pinpoint, to pluck out that one particular chemical, but there's lots of evidence that dogs are able to do this reproducibly. So is it coming from the liquid parts of our blood, the eccrine sweat, or is it coming from the more stinky BO parts of our armpit odor? Don't know yet, but researchers are certainly looking into it. Yeah, that body odor print works in very mysterious ways, and it might even have something to do with romantic attraction right? I mean, who knows what subconscious signals we're picking up from people and how much of them are body odor related. Although you can also try to pick people up by picking up those scents, like in a certain dating event you attended for the book. Yeah, you're talking about sweat dating. Um, and I went to a sweat dating event in Moscow in Russia. Um, but these things happen uh, around the world. I know they've had them in New York City, in Berlin, in Rio de Janeiro, in London, goes on and on. But uh, the one I attended uh, in Moscow. So the premise is you are 
eventually at some point, uh, whether you're picking a partner to bed or to, you know, spend your life with, you're going to smell their body odor and it's probably going to be a make or break moment, right? And so instead of like triaging based on looks or, you know, your shared hobbies, um, you triage on BO. And so how that works in practice is you, you go to one of these events and the first thing that you do is you're given a wet wipe and you wipe off any you know products you've put on that morning, like perfume or deodorant. Um, and then once you're kind of like odor free in terms of like products, you work up a sweat. And so the organizers like take you through like high intensity intervals of burpees and jumping jacks. And once you've worked up a sweat, they give you a cotton pad, a dry cotton pad that you dab uh, in all your parts uh, to collect your scent. And then that is placed in a glass jar and all the glass jars are numbered. Only you know your number and the organizers know your number. And everybody sniffs through these glass jars and picks their top five. So if I had smelled your body odor jar and you had smelled mine and we both thought, you know, top five, we would be a match. And uh, then uh, because it's Moscow and God bless the Russians, you would get a um, all you can drink bracelet for a VIP cocktail vodka lounge um, to find out whether, you know, the optics and the shared hobbies also matched up. Um, yeah, it was pretty hilarious. I mean, did you find your number one? <laughs> um, uh, in, in my case, my number one was number 15, jar number 15. So, you know, as I was like sniffing through all the, the jars, you know, some, I have to admit, were like pretty nasty to me. You know, I'm like sweat positive, but you know, it's not always going to be a match, right? And uh, so some of them I really didn't like, and some were kind of comforting, you know, in the way that like you, you smell your house and it feels like home. Well, some of these body odors, you know, just felt familiar or like somebody I would like. Uh, I can't explain it better than that. Um, and then there was one number 15 that I was just like, oh, hello. <laughs> like, hi. Uh, I, I really like this smell and it reminds me of, you know, this really awesome thing you can do with another person. Um, and, you know, here's like the heartbreak, right? I did get matched. I got matched with uh, number 23, which was this like lovely, beautiful woman. Um, but I did not get matched with number 15. So clearly number 15 did not find my BO to be like the epicenter of sexy time. So, yeah, it was both great and, and kind of heartbreaking at the same time. I, w I felt really vindicated in in reading that because a couple years ago I went and I got like a custom perfume done. Oh yeah. And the uh, the perfumer she had me try these two different kinds of ambergris. One was synthetic and one was you know the real stuff, the real whale vomit. <laughs> it was anonymous to me, but I smelled the real whale vomit and I was like, this is the one. And she was like, you know, you have very expensive skin. And I was like, oh yes, I know you're just trying to upsell me on this, but <laughs> <laughs> but I accept. <laughs> but I accept, yeah. And it is this huge area of study is figuring out how your individual body thumbprint, as you put it, interacts not just with other people's bodies, but also the stuff you put on your body. Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, not only that, but we are sniffing each other all the time. 
Um, even though we'd like to think that we are not dogs that sniff each other's butts. Um, you know, most human greetings involve some form of proximity that allows us to take in the scent of uh, a stranger. So um, one of my favorite studies to this effect was done by Noam Sobel. He and his grad student uh, videotaped people meeting for the first time and handshaking. And after people handshook uh, and met this new person, they sniffed their hands, right? It was so um, alarming, even to the people who were participating in the study, that they accused these uh, scientists of having, like, um, you know, edited or somehow hacked the videos to like create these false videos of them sniffing their hands after they met somebody else. Um, but you know, most of human greetings involve this proximity, like think cheek kissing or a hug or uh, bowing towards each other. Um, we get this opportunity to take in the BO of other people. And it turns out we learn stuff from that BO. So for example, parents can identify um, the smell of their newborn just hours after birth. Siblings can sniff out their brother or sister even after they, they haven't seen them in years. Um, they can identify the body odor print. And um, actually there's just some really interesting science that, that came out since the book was published, um, also from Noam Sobel, that showed that uh, BFFs, you know, people who become extremely fast friends, you know, there's a few of those people in all of our lives where you, know, you just became so close immediately. And when they sampled the body odor of those two individuals, um, people who became BFFs very quickly had uh, a more similar body odor profile than, you know, two random strangers as sniffed out both by a panel of human noses, right? Human expert sniffers, as well as an electronic nose. And so, you know, there's all sorts of ways in which we are deciding our social life based on our noses. I mean, that's really an endorsement for becoming more of a, you know, a sweat positive person, <laughs> I think. My job is done. We have links in the show notes to Sarah Everts's new book, The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science of Perspiration, as well as to some of the studies mentioned in the episode. And uh, if you're keen on changing your own body order, a dip into the world of custom perfumery. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care and stay sharp. Mm -hmm.